KSAC, Dunnigan, Sacramento. Sacramento's New Money 105.5. Online at money1055.biz. Part of the Wall Street Business Network. Information you can't live without. I'm Charlie Pellet at Bloomberg World Headquarters in New York. What's happening now? CNBC Radio. I'm John Lesh. It's business and financial news and talk 24-7. Sacramento's New Money 105.5 and money1055.biz. I'm Chris Maurer, CNBC. Stocks finish higher, the Dow up 99 points, the Nasdaq higher by 12. President-elect Donald Trump says he's turning over his global business empire to be run by his two older sons and a longtime company executive as he enters the White House this month. Trump's attorney says the company would pursue new deals in the U.S. but wouldn't enter into new foreign arrangements while Trump is in office. L3 Technologies has agreed to pony up $1.6 million to settle record-keeping charges. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission said the company failed to maintain accurate books and records and had inadequate internal accounting controls. And Honda is recalling another 772,000 Honda and Acura vehicles in the U.S. The company says the front passenger seat airbag inflators made by Takata may be defective. Overall, 100 million vehicles involving 17 automakers have been recalled worldwide. I'm Nick Soboleski, a select quote agent with a true story that could save you hundreds of dollars a year. A woman named Linda just called. Her husband, Ray, has a $300,000 group life insurance policy, but is changing jobs and can't take it with him. Well, I impartially shopped the highly rated term life insurance companies we represent and found Ray, who is 41 and takes medication to control his cholesterol, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $26 a month. That's almost twice the coverage for less than half of what he had paid. If SelectQuote hasn't shopped for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-329-4100. That's 1-800-329-4100. 1-800-329-4100. Or go to SelectQuote.com. We shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at SelectQuote.com commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states. If you like sitting around the porch or dinner table sharing stories with friends, that's what we like to do here at Our American Stories. I'm Lee Habib, and each weeknight we bring to you stories about American love, funny stories about first jobs, this day in history, American dreamers and marriages, and even the stories of music and acting legends. I invite you to sit around the porch with us as we share our American stories. Weeknights at 8 on Money 105.5. Listen live at money1055.biz. At Holcomb Law Group, you can expect the highest standards provided by large law firms while receiving responsive and efficient solutions at reasonable rates. Specializing in intellectual property licensing, trademarks, commercial leasing, and acquisitions, Jessica Holcomb and her team will help you navigate every step of the transaction. For exceptional value and transparency, call Jessica Holcomb at 530-320-2181, 530-320-2181. What if I told you there's a wealth management firm that offers a 100% satisfaction guarantee? Think it doesn't exist? Think again. Hi, I'm Mo Ansari, president of Compaq Asset Management. When you start a new relationship with Compaq, we'll create your customized investment portfolio and financial plan dedicated to help you reach your goals. Try us out for a year. If you're not happy for any reason, you'll get all of the management and maintenance fee that you paid refunded. This is our 100% satisfaction guarantee. Dial pound 250. 
50 on your cell phone and use the keyword talk to Mo to find out more. Again, from your cell phone, dial pound 250 keyword talk to Mo. Satisfaction guarantee doesn't apply to fees and commissions charged by third parties for such things as insurance products or mutual fund redemptions. It also doesn't apply to any market losses which might occur in an account. For additional information regarding this guarantee, please see the disclosure brochure available at the time you enroll or upon request. Compaq Asset Management is a registered investment advisor. Funds custodian Fidelity Institutional Wealth Services, member FINRA SIPC. This is Roger Michelski from Eagle Financial Publications. Here at Eagle, we are always looking for opportunities for the dividend investor. Recently, I was blown away when I discovered a website that had every resource that a successful dividend investor could ask for, all in one place. We were so blown away that we bought the website and made it part of our Eagle family. It's called DividendInvestor.com, and there's really nothing else like it. When you log on to DividendInvestor.com, you'll find screening tools, plus an all-star ranking system to help you find the best dividend opportunities. There's a scorecard to track the dividends in your very own portfolio, plus time-sensitive updates so you'll be the first to know when dividends go up or go down. Be my guest. Log on free today at DividendInvestor.com. Set up a portfolio and see how easy it is to work the dividend calculator. I'm convinced DividendInvestor.com will pay dividends to your portfolio. Go to DividendInvestor.com now. This is Rob Warner with Guild Mortgage Company. Here's an important mortgage tip for you. Did you know homebuyer down payment assistance programs are not reserved only for first-time homebuyers? If you have owned a home previously and are looking to get back in the market, there may be options for you too. Find out more at 916-932-0265. That's 916-932-0265. Or find me at robwarnerhomeloans.com. NMLS number 825102. Guild Mortgage Company, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS number 3274. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. On recent visits to mom's house, I've been seeing signs that concern me. She's not taking care of herself like she used to. I go over and see her dishes stacking up, her mails unopened. I'm really concerned. The conversations that are the most important are often the hardest. We're Askaton, a nonprofit organization whose passion is caring for your parent. From home sports services to residential living, each designed to give you and your parent options. For a complete list of signs to watch for, visit eschaton.org slash signs. Eschaton, transforming the aging experience. Money 105.5. Views expressed on the following program are not necessarily those of this station, its owners, staff, or management. The following program is sponsored by Simply Great Lives. Welcome to the Impact Hour on Money 105.5, where you live with passion, make a difference, and come alive. This show is about you, your life, your impact, and your legacy. Now your hosts, John and Rena. Welcome to the Impact Hour. This is John, and Rena is out today, but she'll be back next week, I believe. Today's topic is how do you measure your life? I thought it'd be good to go ahead and explore this question. What yardstick would you use to measure your life with? In life, we don't get a do-over get one shot. So how would you know if your life was lived well or wasted or somewhere in between? Today we're going to explore some of the ways people might measure their life. We've done a poll, pretty small sampling of a few folks to get some ideas about how people might measure their life. We thought we would just explore some of these ways that people might use to measure whether they lived well or not. I'm sure the list isn't complete, um, there might be some ways that you might measure your life that we don't bring up today. 
but hopefully cover most of what people would think of uh, when they think of measuring how well they've lived. The things that we pursue in life, we, that we pursue a lot, that we think about a lot, might use that to measure your life. You might not have even thought before about how you might measure your life. And I'm honored to be able to ask the question today because it'll give you a chance to evaluate now while perhaps you still have some time to make some changes. So what you spend the most time on, what you spend the most time thinking about, what you can't wait to get involved in, what you're pursuing in your life, all of these things, does that match up with how you'd measure what is a good life? Today you can call into the show if you have questions or comments. You can call in at 866-576-1055. If you've explored this question for yourself, you can share your journey and your conclusions. Or if you have a question, I'll be happy to answer them on the show today. So let's start with one of the things that I think a lot of people use to measure their life with is their net worth. Oftentimes our net worth is seen as our self-worth. And maybe intellectually you wouldn't say, oh yeah, my net worth is my self-worth. But in a lot of ways, in subtle ways, we feel like we feel different. We feel better if our net worth is bigger. We feel like we've got a little bit more together and maybe you know, we've, we've got something going on. And somehow it seeps into our subconscious as this is our self-worth. So a lot of times we work hard to increase our net worth, and this station, of course, devotes a lot of time to helping people manage their finances. There actually is nothing wrong with managing finances. Keeping up on your finances and managing that is a good thing, but there is a difference between being diligent and being obsessive about it. I don't know in the past I've been a little bit more obsessive about this for my life, so I certainly can relate. Being preoccupied with my net worth checking in on the stock markets, checking my portfolio pretty regularly, keeping up on economic news, wondering how big can I make that net worth. But is this really how you'd want to measure your life? In your eulogy, would you want people to hear about your net worth? Or does that just seem kind of silly? Part of it too is people save up so they can retire and relax. Is retiring and relaxing a measure of a good life? In your eulogy, would they say, he relaxed well? Is that something you'd be proud of? Related to net worth might be income. Sometimes we think our value is based on the size of our paycheck. And this too can be subtle. You wouldn't say your paycheck is your value. But when you get that raise, you sure feel better about yourself. But would you really say a life well lived is one where your salary is big? Or maybe you think the opposite is true. I've seen this as well. You think having a big net worth or a big income, by definition, is a life badly lived. Maybe it implies that you've been greedy and selfish. So that maybe you'd say that to finish well in life, you would need to be unwealthy. And I wouldn't want to say exactly poor, but it might depend on how you look at it. I do want to ask, do you know some selfish, greedy people who are rich? I think I know some people like that. Do you know some godly, generous people who are rich? Do you know some greedy, selfish, poor people? 
And if the answer is yes to all of those, then perhaps the size of your income really isn't a true measure of a life well lived. But it's a question you have to ask yourself. Perhaps it's lifestyle. A lot of people pursue lifestyle. We want to increase our lifestyle, increase the size of our house, want to get the better car, maybe live in a better zip code. Lifestyle and net worth, just want to note, is not the same thing. Sometimes lifestyle and net worth are at odds with each other. So if you pursue one, it may very well be at the expense of the other. I know we had, uh, had my brother-in-law over quite a while ago, and he was walking through our neighborhood, and he was saying, wow, I see a lot of wealth in this neighborhood. And I said, you do? I said, I see a lot of debt in this neighborhood. <laughs> so it really depends. Um, you know, having a big, expensive lifestyle does not necessarily mean that you have a big net worth. In any case, is having a big lifestyle really a great measure of a great life? Is that how you'd measure your life? What about possessions? Could be related to lifestyle. Maybe you're all about owning that specific car. You have this goal of a specific model you're looking for, or it's the size of your house. You know, there's a saying out there, he who dies with the most toys wins. But is that true? Is that really how you'd want to measure your life? And if you had three months left to live, would you go shopping or move up in house? If not, maybe your possessions aren't how you'd want to measure your life. One of the tricky things is having a bigger income, a bigger net worth, a bigger lifestyle, having possessions, it feels like an achievement. When other people have those kinds of things in their life, we can feel envious of them. Hey, they've got that thing. Gee, I wish I had that too. But is that how you determine if your life was well lived or not? Another way people might measure their life is by their career. Based on their advancement, their position, maybe their company title, or maybe which company they work for. Which school did they go to? What's their GPA? Maybe it's based on being the most productive employee or being at the company the longest. Maybe you would measure your life by how hard you worked. If you had three months left to live, would you quit your job? If your answer is a resounding yes, then perhaps there's things more important than your career by which you would measure your life. We're about to go to a break, and we will be right back. You've been listening to the Impact Hour. What if the ladder you're climbing is leaning against the wrong wall? Is that bucket list getting bigger and bigger? Where are your passions hiding? You are here to create an authentically empowered life. There's nothing more fulfilling than living your life's purpose every day. 
Find your calling and live a legacy that lasts for generations. Start your journey today by scheduling your discovery session with John and Rena, hosts of the Impact Hour, every Wednesday on Money 105.5. Go to theimpacthour.com to schedule your complimentary session today. This is the Impact Hour with John and Rena on Money 105.5. Welcome back to the Impact Hour. Today we are talking about how do you measure your life. I think it's a very key question. Many of us don't ask this kind of question. And sometimes we end up asking this question at the most inopportune times, like at the very end when we really don't have a chance to do anything different about it. You can listen to past shows on the web or as a podcast by going to www.impacthour.com. You can click on an episode and play it right from your browser if you would like. Or if you wish, towards the bottom there are buttons you can click that will help you subscribe using your favorite podcast app. In there, you can click on the right button for either iTunes or Android, or there's even a feed URL if that's something that you know about and you can make sense of that. So we're talking about how do you measure your life? And we're just going through a lot of ways that people might use to measure their their, their life. We've done a small poll of some folks and did some thinking about what do people pursue in their life and what are some ways they might use to measure their life. One of the ways people might measure their life is prestige. Might be related to lifestyle and career and net worth, but it'd be more about maybe recognition or a particular position that you have in your job, or maybe you're on city council, on some sort of board of directors. Maybe it's about who you rub shoulders with. That's the kind of prestige we're talking about. So would ask if you had three months left to live, would you be regretting that you didn't get that promotion? So perhaps when it comes down to it, Would you measure your life primarily by the prestige and respect that you earned? Because that would be what you would define as a life well lived. We talked to some folks, and they talk about being remembered and famous. I think if I can get into the history books, then perhaps that means that I've really made it. I've lived well because some things that I've done and contributed in the world get recorded in the history books. So is a life well lived when you become known for something? would like to remind you that even Hitler is in the history books and is known for something. So perhaps being recognized and remembered and famous isn't automatically good. Notice we aren't always inspired by famous people. Sometimes famous people make us envious, but not necessarily inspired. Like if you think about the inventor of the Rubik's Cube, you think, oh, man, I wish I'd been the one who invented that. And usually that sentiment is about re- being envious of, of the, uh, maybe the, the financial gain that he got and some of the notoriety he got for inventing something pretty cool. But it's not the same thing that where you would be inspired by that, thinking, wow, I really want to live like that because that's really inspiring. So perhaps being remembered and famous by itself isn't what defines a life well lived. 
we talked to some other folks, and I hear a lot it's about experiences. How many of you have heard about the bucket list? That's been going around a lot lately. So you go skydiving, you go rock climbing, maybe you visit Paris. Is your life a well-lived life if you clear off most of the things on your bucket list? Or is there something better, something more meaningful? For a lot of folks, it's happy moments. Here in the U.S., we value the pursuit of happiness. That's one of our core values. But is your life measured by the number of happy moments that you have? Are the hobbies that you engage in and the amount of fun that you have really a true definition of a good life that's well-lived? I must say it is easy to get caught up in this because it feels good. It's fun. We all like having fun. But really, is the number of happy moments the measure of a great life? Some folks might get caught up in comparison. And so who you hang out with determines whether you're living a great life or not. And so maybe you think, hey, I'm better than these guys, so I must be good. Or maybe you're just hanging out with low-flying people. How does it feel if you hang out with high-flying people? Does that make you feel less than? Or does it inspire you? Is the measure of a great life based on who you hang around with? Of course, most folks would find this kind of shallow, but it was one of the things that came up in the poll was online likes, follows, and upvotes. Is that a way of measuring a great life? A lot of what we pursue in our life really isn't with an eye towards living a great life where we get done and we feel like we really finished well. A lot of the things we pursue really are ways to feel validated and valuable. It's a way for us to get our own needs met, but it's not so much about how are we contributing to the world or how we're making an impact on the world or how we're living life well or not. And so a lot of what we pursue is just us trying to feel good about ourselves. And of course, I would lump myself in with that as well. This is something that we all get caught up in pretty frequently. But do these things really define a life well-lived? So most of the things we've talked about so far are things that die when you do. When your life is all about you, your experiences, your happiness, your prestige, your lifestyle, your career, your net worth. Very little of your life remains after you're done on this earth. Now we have a book we've mentioned before on this show. It's called Splash, Increase Your Life's Impact. I wanted to read a small excerpt from that book because that addresses this, this topic right here. So from the book, it says, the simple truth is that we don't get true satisfaction by focusing on ourselves. We think of it this way. Whom are we building up when we interact with people? We're usually either creating some sort of result for ourselves or for others. I suppose it could be both. We know that one day we'll be gone. And when we're engaged primarily for ourselves, we can sense a bit of the futility of our actions. And deep down, we aren't satisfied. Imagine that when we engage with someone else, we paint the person we are building up with blue paint. 
The blue paint is just a visual to help illustrate the point. We can either paint ourselves blue or we can paint others blue. For example, we give ourselves some cool experiences, like a tropical vacation. So we paint ourselves blue. Then we buy some cool gadgets for ourselves and add some more blue paint. Then we engage in fun activities by playing some games or spending time in our hobby. So we add more blue paint. At the end of our life, we've piled all this blue paint onto ourselves. Then we're dead. All we have accumulated gets scattered to the wind, and the blue paint is buried with us. There's new blue paint left behind, and the rest of the world is pretty much as it was. Now imagine that we instead focus much more on other people. We mentor someone, so we paint that person blue. We coach a soccer team and paint the players blue. We spend some effort building houses with Habitat for Humanity or donate money, so we paint some homeowners blue. At the end of our life, there will be a lot of other blue-painted folks in the world, people we have positively affected. If others have been painted enough, they may even be able to start painting other folks around them. So our results multiply. When we choose our activities and experiences, who is getting painted? Others or ourselves? We all know deep down that focusing on ourselves ultimately leaves very little impact in the world. This is why our happiness in our hobbies and purchases are so short-lived. When we focus on others, we gain a deep satisfaction. Are we painting ourselves or painting others? When we die, will the results of our life die with us, or will there be significant results left behind? So I think when we define a life well lived, whether we interact and influence and uh, mentor other people, then we really make a big difference in the world as opposed to just trying to satisfy our own needs. And we have a caller on the line. Hello. Are you there, Dave? Hi there, John. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing? <clears throat> I'm doing really good. It's a beautiful day finally today, huh? Yeah, the sun came out. That's awesome. Yeah, perfect. So what do you have for us today? Well, I got a question for you. You know, um, as you try to figure out, you know, what you're trying to do, you know, trying to make an impact. Um, I had a question that was um, not so much how you measure your life at the end of it, really is how you measure as you're going through that process of trying to figure out what you want to do and to make that impact. Does that make sense? You know, that discovery mode, if you will. Yeah, you're you know, wondering. Or, am I going through the right process in order for me to figure out what I need to do? Yes. What I would like to do. So you're wondering about what kind of process is needed to determine what you should do to live a great life. Yes. Awesome. Do you have a specific question around that? Well, um, I know that in, in my life, as I've gone through, you know, a lot of introspection, if you will, and self-examination, a lot of times it's after the fact. Mm. And you, you have this, you know, oh, I see how it all works out now. And as you're going through the process, you're so busy sometimes going through the process, you don't really recognize whether or not you're going through the right process. Um, I think most of us don't want to waste time. You know, we, we value time, <laughs> and we want to be impactful, and we want to be impactful as quickly as possible. But um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you examine, if you will, the process that you're going through to make sure that you're taking the right steps. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So as with anything, you get 
out what you put into it. And so yeah. I know a lot of folks, uh, they don't put a whole lot of thought into it. And what they get out is an unconsidered, maybe not well thought out mission in life. And they just kind of run with their first idea. And, and I don't know about for you, but for me, usually my first idea is not all that great. It's Ditto. sometimes not horrible, but, you know, usually not the best idea. And so usually the surfaced answer, you know, doesn't come up with the best, the best approach. And so what we really recommend is that people go through a very uh, intensive discovery process of uncovering passions and figuring out, you know, how your strengths might weave into that and really see how those things can blend together to make a really deep, meaningful impact in the world. Yeah. And so the idea is to not just jump to the first solution that pops up, um, but to go ahead and, and really ask the deeper questions. And a lot of times it's just starting with the first answer that you come up with and then asking why is that important. And usually what will happen is under, underneath, the, you know, from that question, you'll get at some of the deeper, more meaningful things that you really want. Because usually we jump to a solution rather than to... Uh, to uncover what it is we actually want to do in the world. We've just picked a specific solution, but what we really want is what that solution provides. Hmm. Well, that's funny you should say that. With a class that I teach, um, we kind of went through this values process, you know, Mm -hmm. and one of the questions I asked is, hey, what do you value? And it's like I said, it's funny you should mention that because the first answer that they gave out were all the roles that they were in their lives, you know, I want to be a good, I want to be a good student or I am a good student or I'm a good son or daughter, or, you know, I'm a good football player or, you know, that type of stuff. And I said, no, that's, that's the role that you play. Um, but it took somebody to kind of guide them, lead them through that process, you know, to say, no, what, what makes you value, you know, being a good student right, or being a good, you know, whatever you're doing in life, what occupation or what makes you have that impact. And, um, you know, that I think, I think a lot of us, I think you hit it around the head. The first answer we get is usually not a well thought out answer. Yeah. It might be the right answer, but it's definitely not, you know, taken to its, you know, nth degree, so to speak. Hey Dave, hold that thought, stay on the line. We need to go to a break and we will be right back. Happy, healthy, and prosperous New Year from your flooring experts at Waldo Bowers. During these cold and sometimes freezing nights in Sacramento this time of year, if you were a shepherd, these would be three sheep nights. But now you can stay snuggy, buggy, and cozy in your home, and you can choose from the largest selection of wool carpets at Waldo Bowers Floor Covering. If you're thinking about remodeling in 2017, Waldo Bowers is the place you should start. Carpet, hardwood, vinyl, laminate, and LVPs, LVTs, everything in stock has a special price. Go to 2300 Broadway and view the largest selection of flooring than any other store in the Sacramento region. And while you're there, take a look at the wallpaper that will complement your decor. 0% financing is available on approved credit. Waldo Bowers, excellent customer service, professional installation, and affordable prices. Why would you go anywhere else? Online at waldobowersfloorcovering.com or call 451-0114. 451-0114. This is Michael Medved for townhall.com. Columnist Maureen Dowd has coined a useful description of the left's hysterical overreaction to Donald Trump's upcoming inauguration, calling it pre-traumatic stress disorder. 
determined to protest his presidency. Before it even begins, a group of activists secured commitments for more than 200,000 women who plan to march on Washington to express their rage at Trump taking power. Unlike other great Washington protests for civil rights or the cause of human life, this one has no discernible goal. It's not aimed at a policy, but at a person. And that person has been duly elected to the nation's highest office. A protest without purpose is a pathetic exercise, displaying unfocused, paralyzing anger and allowing participants to wallow in their perceived victimhood. The prospect of hundreds of thousands of women marching to the Capitol with no particular goal in mind only makes the left even more irrelevant, not more powerful. I'm Michael Medved. Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. on Money 105.5, it's Beyond the Numbers, your weekly look at real-life issues related to your money, investments, and your retirement. With your host, Rick Ferguson, a registered financial advisor with over 30 years of experience helping clients manage their retirement future. Find out more online at fergusonfinancial.com. That's fergusonfinancial.com. Go beyond the numbers, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. on Money 105.5. What if the ladder you're climbing is leaning against the wrong wall? Is that bucket list getting bigger and bigger? Where are your passions hiding? You are here to create an authentically empowered life. There's nothing more fulfilling than living your life's purpose every day. Find your calling and live a legacy that lasts for generations. Start your journey today by scheduling your discovery session with John and Rena, hosts of the Impact Hour, every Wednesday on Money 105.5. Go to theimpacthour.com to schedule your complimentary session today. Live life on purpose. This is the Impact Hour with John and Rena on Money 105.5. Welcome back to the Impact Hour. Today we're talking about how do you measure your life, and we have on the line Dave. Are you still there, Dave? Yes, I am. Awesome. And we were talking about you know the discovery process, and you were sharing a little bit about uh, with your students about doing a, a values discovery process and how their first answer often wasn't the best answer, but it was where they had to start with. Yeah, I think that was their perspective too. They, they, you know, I think society tells them. You know, you got to be a good student. You got to be this. I don't. I don't think, you know, for a lot of people, they don't look at the value behind what makes that a good choice. Right. You know. So, uh, and it doesn't. Even though being a good student is a good thing, and being a good football player or you know softball player is a good thing, I don't think that they, you know, what what is it about that that makes it good? It's not just athleticism. Because even athletes struggle with, you know, am I really making an impact? We've heard stories about, you know, people that just won the Super Bowl and have this great big letdown saying, wow, is that all there is? Right. right. Yep. Yeah, roles often aren't what it really is uh, of the deepest meaning for us because we can have so many different roles. We want to pick something that goes with us from one role to the next. And exactly. so it's not just built into a specific role because if that role changes – or it goes away. We're no longer in that role. Then what? Hmm. Yeah, because then that, now you're left with trying to find out your own answers. I think that's kind of the nexus of my question is, as you're going through this process. Number one, I don't, I don't believe you're going to find a, you know, an end all. You know, um, okay, this is this is it. I, I I think that if you learn the process of what you're trying to describe here, what you're describing here, what I'm trying to ask questions about here is is you're trying to find this process and you're going through this process that you end up 
finding a system that works for you versus an end answer. Does that make sense? Yes. So what I find in my personal experience is that it's a refining process. And so when you do the discovery, come up with an answer that that answer oftentimes doesn't just go away on you and you don't go, oh, well, that wasn't the great answer and I'm going to use this process to get a different answer. Uh, Usually it's that answer is still true, but there's a refining process through it. So it becomes clearer and clearer and more honed and more focused and, and more practiced as you go along. And uh, and the other part of it, too, is when you find, you know, a mission in life that you feel like is a good, worthy mission that you would you would feel like you lived well. uh, It doesn't have to be the one thing that's perfect, perfect for you, that there can be more than one of those answers that you can select. And it's not it's like I found the one and there's only one. If I don't find it, I'm messed up. Um, It's not like that. (laughs) Yeah, that that, that would be I think that's a fear of a lot of. You know, especially the kids in high school that I deal with, that that's a fear of theirs. There's so much pressure on them to find a right fit on what they want to do. Even my own kids, I, yeah. I have, you know, they say, I don't know what I want to do. Right. You yeah. know, as compared to, you know, you've heard the, you've heard the old saying, the old adages, you know, go find, some, go do something that you love and, and uh, you'll never go to work ever again. Right. Yeah, you know, you love, be, you never have to work a day in your life. That's right. Yeah. That's what yeah. It is. Yeah, but there can be a lot of things that they love, for sure. Yeah, and yeah. There, there is more than one right answer, so they, they can take the pressure off. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, thank you for your so question. I have, tell, I, have tell, I have to tell myself that then daily, don't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Appreciate the question. That was a great question. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. All right. We we're talking about how do you measure your life? Interesting thing happened uh, a bit ago. Um, Rena went to see A Christmas Carol at a local theater. And uh, in the show, she said they made a pretty profound statement. She said actually it was actually kind of fun because it was self-referencing and they had kind of a lot of humor and they'd pop in and out of the storyline of the play and pop in and out of their roles and address the audience. One of the things they said is that people like Ebenezer Scrooge because they see themselves in Scrooge's character and they want to know that their life can be redeemed, too. And I think that was pretty profound. I feel like a lot of us pursue things of lesser importance. We pursue things that perhaps are self-serving. And then we want to know if, like Scrooge, if our life also can be redeemed because we relate. So a lot of the things that we've been talking about so far are really more about us and our happiness and what we get. And what I found in my life is that those things are not very satisfying and there's not a great way to measure your life. For me, I grew up uh, in, a, in an environment like most of us did, uh, but I had some things happen. Many of us have had things happen to us, but for me, when I was six, I had an infant sister die on Christmas Day. And that was pretty tough. And I grew up in a family where my father would grow into these uncontrollable rages. And it felt uncontrollable, and I certainly felt like I couldn't do anything about it other than try to hide myself and get out of the way and not be a target. And I also grew up uh, where my mom would say things like, it's sure a good thing that you're smart because that means you fit into our family. So I grew up feeling like life wasn't safe. I knew life wasn't safe, and I felt like I had to hide myself or I could become a target. Uh, 
and I felt that if I was seen invisible, I had better appear smart so I could be loved, approved of, and accepted and belong. So I went through life trying to, to earn people's approval and acceptance by appearing smart or to hide myself so I would not become a target. And I was mostly protecting myself through life. I would poke my head out and do just enough to be successful in life. I did fairly well. But on the grand scheme of things, I played life pretty safe. And I didn't take very many risks. And I mostly just protected myself. Then in 2005, I had a heart attack. I wasn't very young then. I'm not all that old now. And it was a big surprise. And I had symptoms of it leading up to the day. And on the day, my heart beat really hard on my chest a couple of times. I felt instantly sick to my stomach. And I remember being curled up on the bathroom floor. And I remember being really scared because I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what exactly, though. And I had the thought that that could be the last moments of my life. And I thought about, you know, the people at work and what might happen if I was no longer at work. And I thought probably what would happen is they would be shocked and perhaps a little sad, but then they would hire somebody else and life would pretty much go on as it always had. And I thought about my family at home. And I wondered, did they really know that I loved them? Did I express love to them in a way that it really sunk in and they knew, not just intellectually, but kind of more of a deeper knowing? And I wasn't really sure about that. I wasn't sure I'd express my love often enough, well enough, meaningful enough, that I wondered if maybe they would have doubts about that. And so those were my questions. Did I love people well and did my life matter? And in that moment, I felt like I could pass from the earth and almost no one would notice. And in my spirit, I was feeling like that wasn't good enough. That that just wasn't good enough to just pass through the earth and have almost no one notice. So in my experience, living a well-lived, a great life involves influencing other people. It involves making a contribution to the world in some way that's meaningful and that matters. But how would you measure your life? It's a very important question. And it's best to ask yourself now while you still have a chance to do something about it. Some people might measure their life by how much good versus bad they've done in life. This is measured on a big balance scale. As long as you pile up more good things on the good side, then you're good. So the question would be, could a hermit live a really great life? Maybe by this definition, people tiptoeing through life doing minimal damage live a really great life. Just want to note the people who inspire us and that we admire really don't live like this. Mother Teresa didn't do just minimal damage, and neither did Gandhi. So is this really the best way to measure your life? Another way you might measure your life is in how you create something. Be in creating a business or a product or a service. And maybe that's kind of how you might get into the history books as well. So it might be related to that. 
or maybe it's about creating media, write a book, make a movie, make some music, or make some entertainment. So could you live a life really well if you've not created something? Does it by definition mean that you've created? And what difference does it make what it is that you have created? We're about to go to another break, and we will be right back. passions hiding you are here to create an authentically empowered life there's nothing more fulfilling than living your life's purpose every day find your calling and live a legacy that lasts for generations start your journey today by scheduling your discovery session with john and rena hosts of the impact hour every wednesday on money 105.5 go to the impacthour.com to schedule your complimentary session today now back to the Impact Hour with John and Rena on Money 105.5. More fun than visiting the in-laws. <laughs> Welcome back to the Impact Hour. Today we are talking about how do you measure your life. We've been going through a lot of the different things that people pursue or different methods that people might use to measure their life. The last thing we've talked about is creating something. So is your life defined as good or not so good by what you create? And what difference does it make what it is that you've created? Is the thing that you make, does that make a difference? One of the things I've experienced in my career, I used to do a lot of software development. That was my first career, which I did for many years, over 20 years. And in all of my software career, I have worked on and created a lot of products. And in my experience, making products has a pretty short lifespan. So some of the early work I did was in CD recordable writing CDs. When it first came out, like when they first appeared inside computers, I worked on software to write to those things. And nowadays, almost no one uses them at all. So they've come in and now they're almost completely gone. So one of the things I've learned is that in products, the longevity usually isn't there. And oftentimes I wondered, maybe in the quiet moments, I'd wonder if what I'm working on actually makes a positive difference in the world or if it's just different. So I know I've worked on things where I just wasn't sure if it actually is being for a good use or a bad use. It ends up just being a tool. And I don't know that I could point to it and say that was really a great thing and that's my legacy that I wanted to leave in the world. And that's just my experience. So when you create something, perhaps it could be useful. It could be a means to an end. But I would suggest perhaps that what you create in of itself is not what makes a great life, but perhaps what it is you make, what kind of thing you make, and what kind of change is that making in the world. Another thing that people talk a whole lot about is they say their purpose is to be there and to raise their kids. So this is a big one. A lot of people say, you know, my purpose is to raise great kids. But is our success in life defined by the way our kids behave? What if you don't have kids? Does that mean you can't live a great life? 
And what if you do your very best and your kids still choose to make bad choices in life? Does that mean that you failed? I don't want to diminish the value of raising kids. That is a, a tremendous honor and responsibility to raise kids. So I don't want to diminish that in any way. But if we measure our life only by how our kids behave and how we raise our kids, I think it's a bit ingrown. And it still leaves unanswered, then how should our kids measure their life? Is that yet again defined on how they raise their kids? It creates kind of an endless cycle, and there's no outside criteria. You can also end up putting a lot of pressure on your kids to behave the right way, to get good grades, to go to the right school, have the right extracurricular activities, and get that right job. And are we really just living vicariously through our kids in this case? And then it leaves the question, how can we pass on to our kids how to live really well if we're not modeling it for them? By what means would you measure your life and how would you use that to model that behavior and that kind of life to your kids? Perhaps you might measure your life by the number of friends that you have or the quality of the friends. So does friendship define a life well-lived? Does the quality of the friendship matter? And what impact is your friendship having on them? Is it just friends for the sake of friends? Or is there something more going on? I know I've had friends where I thought, with friends like these, who needs enemies? So I think great friendships can be a great vehicle for living a great life, but I don't know that the friendship by itself is what defines a great life. Great friends is where the best of you rubs off on them and the best of them rubs off on you, and there's an exchange, and the both of you are better because of that. And I think that is pretty good. I think the best measure of a great life is changed lives. Personally, that's how I define it. It can be either direct or indirect, although Rena and I encourage you to get as close to the change as possible so you can actually know what change is taking place. So many of us are engaged in activity in the world and don't actually know what the real results are. That's kind of like running a business and then not running a profit and loss statement at the end of the year and know if you actually made money or not. And of course, the deeper the change, the better. And here's where we talk about this thing is called be, do, have. So what we have changes us very little. So if we have a new cell phone, for instance, that doesn't really change us too much. What we do, the skills we have, the abilities that we've learned, that changes a bit more and that opens up more possibility. But an even deeper level is to change our being, to change the person. If we change who we are, we change our character, then that changes what we do and that changes what we have and that changes what is possible. And so when we talk about changed lives, we tend to want to drive towards the deepest level of change in people's lives to open up the biggest possibilities so they can go out and make their own impact in the world. And the ripple effect is really huge 
and intentional in that way. One of the things to note is that the people who inspire us, who inspires you, is modeling what you desire in your heart. That's why they inspire. So one of the ways you could find what you want to do with your life, how you want to measure your life, is to look at who inspires you. Keep in mind that when you measure your life, it's not either good or bad. It's not just awesome or terrible. It's not either you've changed hundreds of lives or it's junk, and nor is it you've not harmed anyone, so it must be awesome. It usually lies on a spectrum. So the question for yourself, not for me to ask necessarily, although I'm asking it today, but for you to ask yourself is how do you measure your life? And are you living so it measures better and better? However you measure your life, living a great life doesn't happen by accident. It takes intention. It takes planning. It takes clear goals. And of course, most importantly, it takes getting into action. If you feel like life is happening to you and it feels that way your whole way through your life, you won't end up where you want. Your life will be like a leaf blowing in the wind. You'll get to the end of your life and wonder, how did you get there? So today I have an invitation for you. Are you tired of your life being in the same place year after year? Are you worried that you'll never get around to what's really important to you? Learn how to fill your life with more connection, meaning, and significance. Come explore your values, improve yourself, and gain tools to change your life. Invite you to join us February 1st for an upcoming event. It's called Live on Purpose. The event is all about getting intentional with your life. It's online from 7 to 9 p.m. You can go to theimpacthour.com under events click the Live on Purpose link. And just for you guys, our listeners, because we like to love on you guys, you can use the code 2017 to come as our guest. That's the numbers 2017. If you don't have an intention for your life, someone else will. So go online and register today. Sorry for the pause here. <laughs> kind of looking at my notes here. Um, one other way people might use to measure their life is by personal development. So a lot of you may have watched this, the show Star Trek. And Star Trek, the saying is, we don't work for money. We work to better ourselves. And that sounds pretty good. But for what purpose would you be working to better yourself? So we think personal growth is actually pretty essential to living a great life, but it's not an end in itself. It's an essential step, but it's just a means to another end. <clears throat> so today, my wish for you is for you to live intentionally with significance so that you live with passion and your eyes light up. When you get intentional with your life, when you show up, you will happen to things rather than things happening to you. This is not easy, but it's worth it.
So one of the things we do is to help people not just go diddy bopping around through life. We help people to get clear and intentional and to determine how they will measure their life and to make changes in their life so it matches up with how they would measure it well. Because I know from my personal experience that when we get to a place where we feel like it might be the end of our life, we will regret mostly the things that we did not do rather than the things that we did. And it's those things where we will feel like we've really held back, that we didn't take the necessary risks. The truth is we've really only got one shot at this thing called life. and There's really no reason to just play it safe. That some things are worth the risk, it's worth getting clear on what we want our life to be about, and it's worth jumping in and just really going for it. So today, that's my desire for you, that you would find that for your life, and you would live a tremendously significant life, and you would come alive. You've been listening to the Impact Hour. Thanks for listening.